power on. The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech Podcast feed. Ready for your weekly tech fix? Want to know how technology sets us free? Well, get ready because here it comes. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, entrepreneur and technophile Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. Hello, here I am, the boss. And Bruce Springsteen is nowhere to be found. That's right. It's Brian Sovereign with you. Uh, always a pleasure. And just before we get into uh, this week's story, uh, we got a great episode lined up. But before we get into this story, uh, just a couple things I wanted to, to talk about. Um, one thing is, is that, and, and this is this is kind of something personal I've been doing. And in some parts of this episode are going to be going to be kind of personal. You'll, you'll find out more about that during Hacker Stories. Um, I recently started, I, I started, uh, um, I actually have a, a position on, on free talk live now. Um, not the missionary, but I have a position on free talk live, uh, as a co-host on Sunday nights and with, with Mark edge and Stephanie Murphy, Stephanie Murphy being the lovely and wonderful and intelligent producer of this show, sovereign tech. And I stopped taking my laptop to to free talk live to do now we have to read stories on there we have to look at things whichever uh you know and then read uh you know read the stories uh, that are you know and just look things up in general maybe fact check ourselves stuff like that um but i actually i stopped bringing my laptop and i thought you know let's see i i have a samsung galaxy nexus i've mentioned that on the show before it is the phone notoriously banned um, in the United States for about two weeks. This was, uh, you know, a few months back and, you know, I, I, I got a Bluetooth keyboard for it. Uh, you know, external Bluetooth keyboard. I got an external Bluetooth mouse. And then I, the, uh, the case that I have my phone in, it's a Trident case, one of those ballistic cases, you know, that can handle like a bone, anch- a boat anchor getting thrown on it or whichever. And, I, uh, I, I put all that together and that case has like a little stand on it so I can sit it on its side and it goes widescreen and put it on its stand and the phone recognizes all the devices and everything. And it's really, it's great. Um, and while for some people I can understand where such a small screen could be a problem. Um, I thought, I really thought that, that it works very well. I mean, I can do everything on it. Uh, you know, I can multitask. I have office software on there. When you have the keyboard, that really opens up a lot of the options. Um, I find myself still kind of touching it uh, to, to access things um, because, like, the, the home screen doesn't flip horizontally like you'd want it to. Uh, but overall, I thought it was just a fantastic experience um, using it, and it's so lightweight to carry. I mean, these things, obviously, I'm going to have my phone with me anyway. Um, but then the keyboard's very small, you know, sits just about anywhere. It can sit in your lap really nicely. It's even, it's a very quiet keyboard, which is also helpful when you're recording something, uh, for audio. And, you know, it just, a, just a great little portable setup. I love mobility. I really, really do. I think it's a wonderful thing. Um, yeah. So anyway, so let's, let's go to the flip side of that. Um, but I just wanted to mention that, you know, so maybe it's something you'd want to try, uh, wherever you go, 
you know. Uh, I think the world's full of, uh, you know, essentially digital nomads. And, um, you know, give it a shot uh, if you have a phone that, that's really powerful enough. I mean, if you're using something that uh, uh, that isn't, you know, doesn't isn't at least like dual core, maybe I wouldn't recommend doing this. But um, anyway, let's let's go to the flip side. Let's go from the really, really small to the positively massive. And I'm not talking about my brain, but... 80 inch, 80 inch, that's right, 80 inches, just imagine that, and 80 inch television screens. This is all the rage, all the talk at CES now. Uh, CES is the computer electronics show, and it's where they, where all these big companies, Sony, LG, Samsung, go down the list, they get to uh, lay out the, you know, all the new stuff that they want you to buy, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. If you want something that they're offering, fine, buy it. No big deal. Um, so what they're coming out with now are these 4K screens. And what the 4K is in reference to is 4,000. It's actually not 4,000. It's uh, it's like 3,000, uh, 3,840 3, by 2160 uh, pixel, you know, or 4096 by 20. I mean, all these numbers just get ridiculous, okay? The bottom line is that it's about double the amount that your 1080p screen uh, provides for scan lines and pixels, okay? Um, so it's it's supposedly double the HD, you know, double the pleasure. And th- this is in comparison, this is supposed to be even greater than Apple touts their, uh, their retina displays, which supposedly with retina, your eye can't possibly see the pixels because there's just so many that, that it works essentially just like your eyesight can. Um, and, and so it's an interesting idea. Now, why are they coming out with this in the first place? It's because 3d TVs just aren't selling. They're not a big deal because it's, it's a totally unproven technology. Uh, though interestingly, somehow Nintendo can do it right. But of course it's not a TV. That's a nice little handheld system in the Nintendo 3ds. And you look at these things, I mean, and they are huge and they are, you know, quote unquote gorgeous and all this stuff. Um, but, but let's kind of break it down. I mean, nothing, nothing transmits in the just like with, with Apple, there's only a couple games that actually make use of the rest, Retina display at the native resolution that they're at. Okay, which is beyond actually beyond 1080p as far as Retina display goes, and so so nothing actually transmits at that. And so you, you can't even use the technology in the first place. Okay, and you know a, HD televisions i mean this stuff isn't new interestingly enough the first HD TVs actually came out in 1949 in France um it was what they called 737i that's interlaced as compared to 1080p which is progressive um and i mean they used that from 49 all the way to 1983 uh, you know it was black and white but they used it i mean this this stuff is this isn't like brand new oh look how advanced we are technology this is honestly it's quite frankly it's meaningless technology uh soviet union came out with kind of a color version in 1958 it was a big deal they called it the transformator uh it was a big deal because it's supposed to be used for uh military you know like teleconferencing and everything but it never took off and nothing actually ever got developed out of it but that's actually that that puts it at the level of like 720p which is about what the average, you know, electronics company uh, considers to be, you know, high def at this stage in the game. Uh, so again, this stuff is not new. Um, some of the things that are new, though, as far as these 4K televisions go, again, they are huge. You know, they are some of the largest televisions ever made. No question about that. 
but there's a refresh rate. Now this refresh rate is, you know, how, how fast the each frame, because, you know, these are literally, you know, movies used to be called motion pictures because that's literally what they are. They're pictures in motion. There are single shot pictures that are just being recorded consistently by a shutter. And so it's, so it's all, it's, you know, and that creates a movie. Okay. Now the speed at which things can refresh the, average that's that's been up until the past few years was about 60 hertz okay and the human eye to the brain can register about that that's not too odd um but now they're getting to the point where it's 120 hertz and 240 hertz now when you get now you have to do this to make everything keep looking sharp when you get into screens of the 80 inch size or even of the 65 inch size you know, you have to play at those levels. You have to run things that fast. So that way it doesn't look like there's motion blur where essentially it looks like there's like ghosts running across your screen because you know, the, the frames, the frame rates aren't, you know, aren't refreshing fast enough and your eye can tell that there's, they're skipping in motion and it looks very strange. So they're doing this, but here's the problem now that you can't actually, when you run at those speeds, you know, nothing actually moves at those speeds in, in, in nature, in life and, you know, in reality. And so they have to do what's called frame insertion where they put in like these fake, you know, this fake set of colors or whatever to make it look like everything's moving smoothly. And there's nothing wrong with that, at least not, you know, really, I mean, it, it is a way to, you know, solve technological issues, uh, you know, with these high end frame rates. And, but, you know, I, I will admit, and, and, and this is kind of controversial stuff. There are people who theorize that that's how they're putting in subliminal messages is through these frame rates that your brain can't understand. You know, your eye can, can capture it, but your brain can't translate it. And so a lot of people think, you know, I mean, like, this is like the Coke thing from, I think it was in the seventies where there were every hundred frames on, on a movie at a theater, uh, they would put in like, you know, buy Coca-Cola and supposedly people went and bought more Coca-Cola at the concession stand. And so, you know, some people think that this sort of thing's going on. I mean, this is how technology has to work. I don't think there's any conspiracy here, but you may hear this sort of thing that, you know, and then add on to this to when, you know, in, in the two thousands where the United States government forced, uh, people to buy digital televisions essentially, or at least they forced, you know, networks to transmit digitally and no longer in analog. And, and it is, you know, it is kind of strange. I mean, this, this was something that, that the government, the United States government, I mean, it, it literally took an act of Congress, uh, you know, was pushing to get all these, you know, to get this technology out there, to get everybody away from analog. Um, my opinion on it was not to hypnotize people. I mean, cause that's the claim is that, okay, this is going faster than the, than the human brain, not the eye, but the human brain can't comprehend. I don't think it has anything to do with that. I mean, the idea of, of getting rid of analog television signals and switching to digital first off is far more efficient because to make changes to analog, I mean, you just have to come out with all these different boxes and everything. Um, but to make changes to digital from digital to digital, you just add them in and you can keep going. Uh, also when they switched to digital transmissions instead of analog, they were able, the government was able to essentially sell off that airspace to cell phone companies and thus make, money or, you know, and now the cell phone companies can sell between each other, whatever. So I, I think it was a money-making scheme, no doubt about that. But then, so it's, it's a money-making scheme for the private companies too. And that's my point is that these TVs, I mean, there's first off, there's nothing, not your PlayStation three, 
maybe your computer, but you'd be upscaling everything, meaning you'd be faking doing this frame insertion kind of stuff. You'd be faking the transmission. There's nothing that can make use of these resolutions. The point of these resolutions is to just make sure things look good when they're that big from a much lower signal. Okay. You, you, it doesn't matter if you have 1080p, it's not going to look good at the four K on 4k televisions. All right. Which is twice the high definition, you know, if it doesn't do like this frame insertion stuff, uh, bottom line being, we've got two technologies here. We have the 3d televisions, which didn't do well. You have this 4k, you know, the, the, this kind of this business code word, you know, f- or a boom word, um, you know, this 4k televisions that they're not going to do anything either. The, the average one, I think LG is offering one now, and it's about $12,000. Wait a few years. If you really, really need television, I don't know why you need television for starters. Uh, I mean, I do everything off my computer. Like I said earlier, actually, I'm doing a lot of things off my phone, too. Uh, I mean, maybe if you're a family and you want to do joint viewing things, maybe I could understand needing needing a television. But but television's so passe. It's so old. It's so antique. I mean, the, the audio world is where the future is at because that way you can keep doing what you're doing. I mean, everybody, you know, business is getting to the point where every single human being can be their own entrepreneur and you're going to be working from home. And in being your own entrepreneur, you know, you, you get to, you get to enjoy life, perhaps audio through audio uh, sources, much like sovereign tech. And yet you still get to work at the same time. You know, as to where te- television is just a total distraction. It's an absolute distraction. Uh, maybe sometime I'll do a, a, an episode of Sovereign Tech about, like, the history of TV and just the, the pure garbage that you get fed through it. Uh, I mean, not to say there aren't good things like Babylon 5 uh, or the original Battlestar Galactica or maybe, like, the Doctor Who, uh, you know, back in the Tom Baker days with Sylvester McCoy days. Uh, but really anything, you know, anything else is kind of, kind of garbage. I mean, documentaries are good, but you can watch those elsewhere. I mean, that's what we have Amazon prime and Netflix for, uh, and all these wonderful services or even YouTube that shows so much of this stuff for free, such great content, totally for free that you can just enjoy on your computer any way you want. Um, but anyway, so my point is, is just don't fall for this 4k scam. It is just a scam. They, they need you to buy this. They really do. They need you to buy these things so these companies can stay afloat. I got a better idea. Let's just let the television die and we can just enjoy, you know, all the great stuff, uh, all the great content on YouTube or whichever. We can enjoy it on our TV screens or have a big monitor if you really need it. Uh, Anyway, we'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with me, Brian Sovereign, the man who always wears triple black. Sovereign Tech is a show about science and technology and how it can set you free. Remember, Sovereign Tech only endorses businesses and products that we genuinely believe in and support ourselves. If you have a product or website that you would like to have reviewed, you can email the show at SovereignTech at Hush.ai. Please keep in mind that the reviews on Sovereign Tech pull no punches. Thanks for listening. Tech Roulette. You want to play? Oh, I love to play Tech Roulette. There is nothing better. Um, And actually, for the first time, 
tech roulette is actually going to get, we're, we're going to do, we've done, I've done real tech roulette today where I've gotten so many stories from listeners that, uh, I had to do eeny miny mo. And which one am I going to do? And this one actually comes from Ben Hammer, uh, a great guy. And the story is from reason.com. And it's just a quick shot, but it's interesting to talk about. And what the story is, it's air drones tested in the Caribbean or aid. I'm sorry, aid drones tested in the Caribbean. What does that mean by aid? First aid. A fleet of small flying drones could speed up to could speed up the delivery of medicines and other supplies to remote areas and even provide a cheaper alternative to a road network, according to Matternet, a startup company in the U.S. Just as the Internet has revolutionized the transport of online data, the company says a network of unmanned aerial vehicles, UAVs, the Matternet, as, as they're calling it after their own company, could do the same for supplies. The company envisages a network of base stations 10 kilometers apart with flying drones carrying packages up to uh, two kilograms between bases. A drone would take only 15 minutes for each trip without needing to recharge or replace its batteries. Now, okay, so here's what's interesting about this. Um, How incredible it is that the private, you, you know, private companies, the free market, Uh, Not that there's a free market really anywhere. I wish there was, but that private companies can say, Oh, you know what? Instead of killing people with these things, maybe we could come up with something, you know, maybe we could use this to help people instead of kill them. And here it is. Matternet came, they said, you know, we could set up little base stations, essentially little post offices for lack of a better word, or little FedExes all around the world. Now, and they're, they're starting this testing in the Caribbean and we could, we could load stuff, we could load stuff on, you know, and just do drop-offs and the thing can go back and be back in 15 minutes and nobody's in danger. You send the robot to do it and that's, and that's it. Uh, just an amazing thing. And, and it brings up another point too. Actually, this is something I was reading on reason the other day. Um, you know, there's, there's this concern that all oh, robots are taking human jobs. No, you know what? They're mostly taking jobs that none of us could do. Really? I mean, we're using them to go into the deeps and depths of the earth. We're using them to go to all these crazy places. We're using them to, to handle, you know, conditions that the human body just can't really, you know, unless you're in, in like an Iron Man suit or something. Uh, you know, robots are doing there. I mean, yeah, I understand that there's, there's places where they're taking those jobs, but they're, they're doing it first off so much better, allowing for people to enjoy some real luxury. And like I said, in the last segment, you know, now people are having the opportunity because of a lot of this automation, they're getting the opportunity to be their own entrepreneur, their own boss, which is great. And I think that's the future. So many people are working from home now, huge, massive companies and businesses are not getting they're not laying people off but they're saying you know what you can do this from home it's okay and that's a great development so anyway you know the military wants to use these things you know for their precision and to be getting in and out of nowhere uh out of anywhere you know with without anybody getting harmed that's a whole other issue i have a real problem with that because you know one of the things you know i was in the military and i can say i can say this that when, when you actually human to human person to person kill somebody, it reminds you of why war is something that's worth being avoided. Okay. And when you automate it, 
I think you forget. I, I, I think there's just, it does turn into a video game at that point. And maybe that's something we could talk about during a game talk segment sometime. But you do, you, you forget when, when it becomes mechanized. You know, as to where, when you're helping people, no one forgets because nobody died for one. But you remember, I mean, suddenly, you know, these drones, who, uh, uh, unbelievable the places these drones could get to, could send help to. You know, th- there's a chance these things could work like, you know, we could build uh, drones that work like Chinooks to where they could rescue people in some pretty serious chop. You know what I mean? In, in some serious situations. But we can send out now that I think this is a great idea. Matternet's doing a wonderful thing. Uh, jump on it if you know if, if you can invest in them. Go for it, please. Uh, I might do so myself. But the idea of just sending aid to wherever it's needed, you know, especially when you look at countries like say Burma, where it's just there's these civil wars going on, where hundreds of people are dying, maybe thousands of people are dying a year, and you know you can't. You can't like, uh, you know, chance sending in even a small team because they could get wiped out, you know, to send in aid to, to, to people that are being oppressed in these countries. You could send in one of these drones, you know, and just do, do a nice little parachute drop. You could send food. You could send whatever. Unfortunately, I imagine Christians would figure out to send Bibles. Maybe we can stop that, but whatever. But I mean, the possibilities are endless and no one gets hurt. Nobody gets hurt and people get help. What a wonderful idea. Uh, and you know, and I don't like the argument cause I'm sure someone's going to make it. I don't like the argument. Well, you see, you couldn't do this if you didn't piggyback off the internet or off the, off the, uh, the, the military. Uh, cause a similar case is made for, for the internet, you know, that the internet existed because of, you know, military funding, all of which is unfortunately true. Uh, that is absolutely true. There is no argument. The private, uh, you know, the free market private companies did not come up with the internet. Uh, they might have, there was the difference engine in the late 19th century, uh, which could have been an internet and that was not related to any government program. But anyway, you know, they say, well, you know, this stuff would have never come into being, uh, without, you know, without the military to help fund it and back it up. You know, I wonder about that. I wonder if there was a free market, if people wouldn't come to, say, the United States, if there was a real free market where the government didn't touch it at all, or maybe where there wasn't a government, wouldn't that be nice? And they come from their country and they're like, you know, I got to find out a way to help people over there without anyone else getting hurt. And they say to themselves, what if we made UAVs? What if we made unmanned vehicles that could fly in there and drop stuff off and bring it back home? What if we hired some of these kids who are so awesome at their computer games with such precision that they could just fly that thing in there and, and send it back and they could fly better than, than any person sitting in a cockpit could, uh, you know, because of the lack of G forces and things like that. What if that would have happened? It's speculation. Sure. But then this is speculation on the part of Matternet, but it's speculation that's going to become real. And it has, and, and quite frankly, let really get this out of your, out of your head. It has nothing to do with the military. This would have came into being long before. In fact, science fiction thought of UAVs, you know, drones, uh, eons before the military ever did. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't think the same can be said about the internet, but as far as drones go, oh yeah, science fiction was all over that long before any government anywhere in the world, uh, you know, even dreamed of it. 
so again, so that, that's, you know, that, that's the private, that's the privatized world coming up with the best ideas. I think this is great. Um, you know, I, I, I wish Matternet the absolute best in making this come into fruition. Uh, because I mean, how can you go wrong? We're, we're sending aid. You don't have to, I mean, and the money saved in this, you know, you don't have to pay people to do it. I mean, and this doesn't, these things don't even use gas. They run on batteries, you know? So if you're kind of a green person, what a great idea. You know, I mean, you don't have to send in, you know, all the, all the, the Humvees, you know, you don't have to send in the big Chevy Suburbans or whatever. You can just send in the drones with help instead of death dealers. And it's pretty disgusting, you know, when you think of that, but it would be pretty apropos if something that was at least in our time, so well known for being dealers of death, that being military drones, killing hundreds, thousands of people a year could become, you know, uh, an envoy of peace, an envoy of help. Uh, I mean, it's amazing to think of. And again, great job on Matternet for coming up with it. Um, I look forward to seeing how this goes. And we'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. This is Brian Sovereign. in the gang the podcast for grumpy young men brings you issues we are talking about raping babies i love nazis beast jesus news new york shuts down vibrator giveaway here's a fun story out of uh spain el correo no wait that's a newspaper personal stories i kicked a windshield once because i was angry i just got annoyed and i wanted to die i know all the words to get in jiggy with it i have a horribly tiny penis responsible journalism i'm drinking malt liquor when we do the show we're generally drunk pukeinthegang.com and cake. Wow. It's a website of the week. It is time for website of the week where we go over websites that can, I mean, this is the show about how technology can set you free. And this is a show where I even tell you about things that are free. How free is that when it's free? Can't beat it. Um, so this is website of the week and we go over websites that can help you out, uh, that are just a great service that, that may be an alternative to something that you have to have to pay for, um, or just, just something that, that, that is accessibly very, you know, that is uniquely accessible, uh, and does a great job of that. You know, that way you can do things from anywhere because another important freedom is the freedom to get, you know, you know, to, to vote with your feet, to be able to walk around, uh, you know, to the freedom of travel, which is very, very important. And the less you have to travel with the better, or if you have the ability to access things from, you know, far off lands, you know, that, that, that's fantastic. Especially considering that there's imaginary lines that keep you from taking certain things with you or that keep you from accessing, you know, certain websites or certain programs or something like that. Um, anyway, this uh, website of the week is pixler.com. That's P I X L R.com. Obviously I'll link to it in the show notes. And this is really great. If, if you're a Photoshop user, okay. One of the big things with, with, uh, that, that people say, why, why do you still use windows? Why don't you use Linux? And a lot of people just come right out and say eh, Photoshop. Yeah. I don't blame them. I, I mean, Photoshop is really, really good at what it does. It is uniquely good at what it does. Uh, office would be another example like that. And office is very good at what it does, but there's good examples for the alternatives for those, which we'll go into uh, another time. But pixlr.com, P-I-X-L-R.com, and you can go there and it gives you, I mean, this is a genuine Photoshop alternative. I mean, it, it's deep. 
you know, it may not have so many fun little automations that Photoshop does, but for people that have been using Photoshop for a really long time, uh, will feel right at home with this. And if you're new to photo editing, you'll feel right at home as well. Um, you have the, as soon as you go to the website, there's like three options. There's the playful option, which is like a really basic, you know, kind of photo editor, which is a lot of fun. And you can actually download that to your, uh, um, you know, to your computer and use it locally. There's also Pixlr Express, which is kind of a more efficient one. It's like a middle ground for you to use. And then there's advanced and advanced is where if you know Photoshop, you know, here is your alternative here. It really is. And it's all done online, all done in the cloud. You upload your image and you do it there, or you can download the programs and you can do it on your computer if you want. But it's so nice to have this nice, this really great cloud service that you can access from anywhere and you just upload your stuff and you can do everything. I mean, whatever Photoshop stuff you can imagine, pretty much it's here. Um, and, and it handles, I, I haven't run into a format yet that it doesn't handle, uh, your PNGs, you know, kind of your vector might not be so good with the vector stuff, but then neither is Photoshop. Photoshop, Photoshop stinks at, at, at vector graphics. Um, I mean, it's the only kind of thing out there, so that's why everybody uses it for that, but it really, it really does, does kind of stink. Um, anyway, so you've got everything you could want here. It's totally free. You can also download it. The Pixlr Express mode, you can download as an app for uh, your Android or your iPhone. If you happen to use one of those, um, I mean, and how can you beat that? You have this cross-platform experience and on Sovereign Tech, we love cross-platform because that's, that's what you want. You want familiarity. You want ease of use. You want things to just, as soon as, you know, when you want to use it, no matter where you are and what you have access to, you want to access. So this is what the internet was supposed to be, you know, doing what you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. Pixlr.com, great alternative for Photoshop. And I'll be right back with more. third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. All fighter squadrons launch us out of here. Return fire. Freeze Watch Babylon 5. You can watch Babylon 5 and experience the greatest show in television history. See the entire series completely free by going to the wb.com slash shows slash Babylon 5. Software of the Week. Here it is, Software of the Week, where we go over software that can help set you free uh, or do it, you know, just great software maybe that you can use, uh, that, that can help you in all kinds of ways. Anyway, I, you know, I worry sometimes that I come off as kind of a Google fanboy on this show and that may not be totally unfair. I mean, Google is really making the best stuff in the world right now. Uh, be it from phones to even like Google TV. If you were a TV person, like we talked about earlier, uh, Google TV is definitely the best thing going, but you know, as well as all their online services, Google music and all that stuff, but maybe you don't trust Google and I don't blame you. They, I mean, they're unlike now every, they, every company, okay. Yahoo, Microsoft that all offer these free services, similar to what Google has, you know, that, that can track your information or whatever. They sell it off too. 
You know, everybody get, it gets hard on Google about that because they sell it off. At least Google tells you. That's the difference. Google tells you everything that they're offering, um, you know, up to third party or the government or whatever. As for these other companies, they just take it and they don't even bother to mention it to you. And they don't mind that Google takes all the heat. But anyway, if you're concerned about that, if you don't like how much information Google has about you, uh, and, you know, and things of that nature, you know, some people use like starpage.com uh, so that they can still use Google and, uh, you know, but, but not be tracked and it bounces around, you know, on different IPs and everything. But there's a company, a Russian company called Yandex. Now, if you have a problem with the Russians... You know, I, I don't know what to tell you, but I will say this and we'll, we'll talk about this future. The, the history of Russia and hacking is a, an astonishing story. Um, and quite frankly, Russia is probably, in my opinion, is home to the greatest technologists that the world has ever seen. Um, may not have been terribly inventive all the time. But when someone else invents something, they always backwards engineer the thing and they do it better. That's kind of a generalization, but, but this, is, this is pretty true for what we're about to talk about. And what I'm going to talk about is Yandex, okay? And you can go to Yandex, uh, yandex.com, yandex.ru, and they offer pretty much everything Google offers, but it's not Google. They offer their own browser, which is based off the Chromium engine, which is the same thing that, quote-unquote, Google Chrome is based off of. Um, and they have their own search engine. They have their own mail. In fact, Yandex Mail looks very, very similar to, to Gmail. Works almost exactly the same way. It's wonderful. Um, and they're going to be coming out with their own app store for Android. Yeah, you're actually, Yandex is making it possible to de googleize as much as possible anyway. Android, your Android device. And that's, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, so again, they're going to have their own app store. They even have, if you go to, if you go to Russia, you know, for whatever reason, and they have Yandex maps that, and now it only works for Russia right now, but it's as good as anything Google puts out. Uh, so it's a genuine, there's lots of great security features and their terms of service are really, 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 really good. Uh, no one is a hundred percent, you know, uh, able to get away from, from what the government, uh, you know, wants, but Yandex does a pretty good job. And again, they offer, they, they offer a full suite, just about everything you can imagine from Google Yandex offers, and they do it really well. Not, not everything they don't offer like Google play music, which I love. Um, but they offer a browser, which is very, very fast. I've used it. It's, it's solid. Um, Yandex mail, which they already have apps for that, for, for Android. I have it on my, uh, I have Yandex mail app on my, uh, galaxy Nexus right now. And it all just works. And again, great security features. Why not use it? Now, I mean, if you got a thing for the Russians, or if you have a thing against the Russians, again, don't know what to tell you. We'll be right back. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network. A collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk. Uh, arguably, as I always say, 
maybe my favorite part of the show, uh, though that could change. But uh, on this week's Game Talk, we're going we're gonna to have a conversation that we might have quite a few times uh, in the future on Sovereign Tech. And, of course, this is me, Brian Sovereign, with you. Always a pleasure. And this is going to be PC versus console. Now, you know, I like cooperation more than I like competition, of course, but I think this is the apt way to put it. And and there's fanboys on both sides. Fanboys being someone that just, you know, no matter what happens, they root for their company. Like there's Nintendo fanboys, there's, you know, Microsoft fanboys, uh, Sony fanboys, as well as obviously PC fanboys. Maybe I'm a PC fanboy, but I like to think I give everything a pretty fair shake. So this is PC versus console. If you want a game, what do you want to get? And I'll just say it outright. You, you want a PC. Now people say, well, they cost so much, you know, and, 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 you know, and I used to, when I, years ago, I used to make the argument that console was the poor man's gaming, um, you know, and, and that, that PC users, it's like, you know, it was just kind of an elite group sort of thing. Um, and a few years ago, actually, I mean, console games couldn't even touch as far as graphics. This is still true, actually, but consoles couldn't even dream of touching what PC games could do. Uh, I mean, not, not even close. So anyway, so there's the graphics thing to go into. Um, but, but, you know, people used to recognize that PC games were, you know, that that was it, that was the stuff and everything else was just for, you know, kids you know, or, or for, you know, like I said, for, for poor people, I don't agree with that now anymore, but, but, you know, I, I, there was a time where I subscribed to that kind of view anyway. So why do you want a PC? Of course, there's, there's the better graphics that are just unbelievable. The cost really not an issue anymore. Uh, especially after seeing this year's CES, that being 2013, um, you know, everybody's dropping the prices of things to where you can get a great running computer for about the price of a great Xbox. Um, I mean, you're not going to get, you know, the really high end refresh rates and all that, of course, but you're going to play these games and you're going to be playing them for years. Uh, you know, that's something too, that's kind of shifted, you know, consoles. One of the arguments that PC gamers used to be able to make was that, well, my PC's forever and your game system lasts at best five years, you know, before it really starts showing its age or something, you know, that's not true anymore. I mean, the PlayStation two went a good 12 years strong and the graphics got better and better as time went on. Um, you know, so, so these console systems are lasting quite a while. The Xbox 360 is really, you know, do, having a good run too. So you can't really say that, but where the PC does stand out, it does have that longevity that can go into the decades. Um, but the thing there's emulators on PCs and not to say that this is legal, entirely legal anyway, but with emulators, you can play a lot of these, you know, consoles games. If you wanted to play them, you could play them on the PC and then play the great PC games as well. Um, you know, not that I want to promote this game, but just as an example, as far as like great PC games that you can't really do on consoles would be battlefield three. Now you can play that on the consoles, but a, you would have to download an entire one, two gigabyte graphics package just to get high definition out of the game. And two on the PC, you could have 64 player maps as to where on consoles, you're lucky if you got 16 or 32, but you could actually, you, you could just do these huge maps. That's the other thing too. The PC games are so huge in scope because you don't have to, you download everything right when you buy it. You, it's not confined by DVDs anymore or, or the late, at least single DVDs. I mean, consoles used to do things where they had uh, a couple of discs, you know, when a game was really long, um, like the wing commander games, which ironically was originally a PC game. Um, 
But now, you know, you just download everything. If you use something like Steam uh, by Valve, which is a great, great software suite, uh, they, they offer all the games. Everything updates automatically. Everything's done automatic. The stuff downloads, sure, takes a few hours. But once it's done, you know, you're set. Your saved games are saved in the cloud, which is great. You don't need a memory card or like a hard drive even, um, you know, like what you do with the 360 or PS3. Um, all this stuff, I know some consoles are offering like cloud save game storage now too, but PC was doing it a long time ago. Um, you've got that. If you have a gaming laptop PC, now this is where things can get expensive. You're not going to get a cheap uh, uh, gaming laptop. Um, you know, as to where you could probably get a pretty cheap, uh, P, you know, gaming PC. Um, but if you have that, you have portability, you can go anywhere. You can take your games with you wherever you go. You go to Tunisia, take your games with you. You go to Korea, you take your games with you and you, and you can, and you don't have to like hook up to the hotels TV or, you know, wherever you are, it doesn't, you could be in the junkiest motel in the world and you could just break out as long as you can plug in your laptop or you have pretty good battery life. You're playing games. You're rocking. You bring an Xbox 360 controller and you're all set. Uh, which, by the way, as far as PC gaming goes, the Xbox 360 controller wired uh, is probably the best the best bet for that. If you know if the game requires it and you don't want to use the you know the mouse and keyboard solution, which is probably still that that's another advantage to PC gaming too. Mouse and keyboard still the best way to control games. Uh, besides platformers, but I mean, to, to, to control big games, first person shooters, whatever, that is still the most precise, uh, way to do it. The only thing that came close is maybe like the Wiimote, the Wiimote, but that's because the Wiimote worked like a mouse. It was a pointer. So that's why that works so well for that. Like I remember people playing the new golden eye for, for the Wii, uh, which was really great. And you know, it, it, it worked just like, you know, PC, you know, just like mouse and keyboard on the PC. Awesome. Uh, the other advantage, of course, is game modding, which I've talked about on the show in the past. Uh, you know, the, the ability to mod these games to make them look better. There's a mod out there for Grand Theft Auto 4 that makes it look better than almost every modern game in existence. I mean, they they just they did textual overlays of everything uh, or texture overlays of everything that that. Oh, wow. I mean, talk about a pretty, pretty game, uh, you know, and, and you're not going to play that on the 360 or on the, the PS3. And when GTA 5 comes out, you know, on the PC, you're going to get that mod pack a year or two down the line, and it's going to take advantage of all that hardware. Uh, game modding is the best. I mean, that may be the number one reason to play on the PC as compared to a console. And there's no, you know, the games used to be a problem that stuff that came out on consoles wouldn't come out on PC, but that's changing. Except for some of, like, the, you know, the... Uh, like like uncharted for playstation or halo even though a couple halos you can play on pc like halo for for the xbox um you know uh franchises that are for specific systems you're not going to be able to play those i grant you but those are so few and and those are even closing up those are going away to where i mean now you can play final fantasy games everywhere um you know so that that idea of well this system has better games that whole idea is just going out the out the door um a disadvantage that I will admit to is the is the fact that you can't resell PC games. You you can go you know you can go to GameStop, you can trade in your games, your PlayStation Three games, your Wii games, your Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty games, and you can't do that with PC. And that's kind of unfortunate. But at the same time, most PC games that you buy uh, have so much replay value. 
you know, uh, be it with multiplayer or whatever. And, you know, that's something, too. Multiplayer on, like, the three... That's, like, the big thing that everybody talks about now is that, oh, I can do multiplayer on my console. Multiplayer, I was doing that when I was, like, 14, 15. This was back in, like, 96 I was doing that over a phone line. You know, forget Ethernet or wireless. I did it over a phone line, and I had as much fun then as I do now when I do multiplayer. It's great. Uh, so, again, way ahead of the curve, and anything coming next will be ahead of the curve, like the Steam Box. Oh, my. The Steam Box that was announced by Gabe Noel of, of Valve. Um, I mean, this thing's going to, you know, going to change the world. Maybe I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can get a preview of what that, of what that's going to look like, but that's going to be a PC. Um, and that may be the thing that actually puts an end to consoles outside of maybe Nintendo. Cause Nintendo just has such a unique experience that everybody always buys those. Um, you know, and, and now again, this is like with the robots where people are like, well, people are going to lose their jobs in the brick and mortar stores. The market talks. You know, I, I don't want anybody to lose their job, but maybe they'll figure out cool things to do at your, like, your local GameStop. I'll be right back with more. This is Brian Sauer. Are you searching for a mouthwatering, all-natural, sweet and sticky treat? What if I told you it was also made by a chef who believes in freedom, just like you? You're not dreaming. This is real. Head over to mandrick.com. That's M-A-N-D-R-I-K.com. There you'll find George's famous baklava in classic and dark chocolate flavors. Mm. To those with special health needs, George's famous baklava also has a treat for you. Golden delicious, low-carb, gluten-free almond cookies. Order with PayPal or Bitcoins. In just a few days, your sweet treats will await you right at your doorstep. One more time, that's M-A-N-D-R-I-K.com for George's Famous Baklava. Hacker Stories. It is time for Hacker Stories. I am Brian Sobin with you, with you, and you are listening to Sovereign Tech. Um, don't forget uh, that you can go to our Tumblr page. That's at sovereigntech.tumblr.com, S-O-V-R-Y-N tech.tumblr.com uh, we also have the soundcloud soundcloud page at uh, soundcloud.com slash sovereign tech s-o-v-r-y-n tech uh, so don't hesitate to go to that now hacker stories this is where i generally tell stories about hackers because i consider hackers to be heroes black hat white hat gray hat i consider them to be heroes this week i'm going to go into and this is something you're going to find that i'll do with guests a lot where i want to find out how they got into tech um, whether they're a hacker or not, you know, I, I just, I think it's interesting to see how, how people got into these things, uh, be it computers or whatever they end up using and, you know, in their life or in their jobs or whatever. And this week I'm going to talk about, now I'm not claiming to be a hacker. I'm not confirming or denying that I'm a hacker, but this week I'm going to talk about how I got into computers, how I got into technology. Um, I was born in 1981 and obviously, you know, like the Apple IIe or the Apple Lisa or whatever at the time, you know, the, these were on, on the cusp of becoming really popular um, around then. And that, you know, so, so you can say I was like there at the beginning, but I mean, I, I, I was just born. Anyway, it wouldn't be until a few years down the line um, that really, like I used an Apple IIe growing up quite a bit. 
uh, and, and that wasn't bad. Apple IIe, the, the interface on that, you know, as in like, you know, what do you point and click? There was no point in clicking. Um, it was all, it looked very much like DOS. If you're not sure what DOS looks like, uh, you know, just like type it in Google Images or, you know, Star Page Images, whatever you feel like, and you'll get an idea of what that looked like. Um, so... Anyway, so I used an Apple IIe for a while. You know, I played Oregon Trail and all that stuff. And, and my dad works has worked for technology companies his whole life. And so, you know, computers were always kind of in the home anyway. And But my first real computer that was mine, it was a 386. Now, that, what, what's a 386? Um, before, you know, you, most people, I think, know the phrase Pentium, you know, that Intel came out with. Before Intel released the Pentium uh, processor, which was technically a 586 or 686. Um, they they had what was they 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 had the numbers they were called 386 or 486, and most people that know what these are, you know, they'll they'll instantly have images in their head of of what I'm talking about. So my first computer was a 386, and it it was a great machine, you know, for what it was. And why did I want it? Why did I want a 386? Why did I beg my parents, you know, can I have my own computer? I just, I want to do my own thing. And it was me. I, I asked for it. None of my brothers or sisters that, or my, my brothers or sister, you know, they didn't want it. Um, you know, I wanted it. And really it all came down to the fact that I wanted to write, you know, and, and this was at, at a pretty young age. Uh, you know, we're talking like 10, 11 years old, whatever. Uh, I wanted, I wanted to write. And, you know, when I see, you know, when I'd be in the mall or something and I'd see a computer with like windows on it, you know, windows three, one or whatever. And that was all graphically beautiful as compared to the Apple IIe I was using, which just had essentially a green screen. Um, you know, that was really pretty. And I was like, and, and I see people writing on it and I go, oh, wow. Cause the words just appear on the screen and there they are and they're in existence. And, you know, as long as I save them and I, and they don't get deleted or whatever, you know, uh, no one can take them away from me. And I thought that was so great. So my entire, so really my entire, you know, reason for getting into computers and technology, all of which would greatly benefit me later in life, uh, when I became an investor into tech companies, uh, all just came from the fact that I wanted to write. And I have, I have written a, a couple books, um, and, and, uh, not that you're going to find them and, you know, I've written other various things, uh, and I still get a great joy out of writing and I do it to this day. Um, and also then came games. See, that's the thing, because then you, then when you're in the mall and you're seeing these computers, you know, like at Radio Shack back when Radio Shack was actually really cool. You see these amazing games that, quite frankly, now I, I had a Nintendo. I got one for my birthday when I was like six. Um, you know, you see these games and, and they blow away anything on, on the NES, the original Nintendo system. And they really did. And or then then our, and this is the one that really got me. I remember this. There was it was Star Trek, the 25th anniversary CD-ROM edition. Okay. And I saw that and I was like, I have to play that. And so I got my computer upgraded to a 486 instead of just a 386. This, this was a generation up and I got a CD-ROM drive put into it. Computers didn't all have CD-ROM drives before that. And there it was. And I played it and with, with the CD technology, now they could put voices in and William Shatner actually spoke in the game. It was like a point and click adventure. The graphics were awesome. You could probably find it somewhere. You could emulate it on your PC and using a, a program called DOSBox. And it is so much fun. And it's hilarious because whoever wrote the script really knew their Star Trek stuff too. Uh, 
and you you get to re-encounter all these you know classic episodes and each each mission played like an episode and it was so cool and i just couldn't believe it and even like fighting games i used to play fighting games back then um they had a game called one must fall and it was like giant robots and it played like mortal Kombat, but the graphics mortal Kombat couldn't touch it it looks so cool and you could like augment your, your robot and everything. So all these options, all these things that are really just in the past 10 years getting put into console systems existed back then. And so that was very exciting. So writing and gaming, uh, I mean, I could go down the list of games, you know, that have influenced me uh, wing commander. I've talked about that before, you know, that was on PC. That was incredibly influential in my life. And so that's it. So I wanted to write and I wanted to play games you know, and I had this computer and it's like, well, how can I make it do better? And back then when you use DOS, which was mostly, uh, you know, text-based, even to get into windows, you had to boot into DOS, uh, to, you know, to be able to, uh, uh, you know, do, do whatever you do on the computer. It was all text, all command line, what they call command line, which is still used by some things. Um, you, you know, you, you learned just by, by, as a byproduct, by default, you learned how computers worked just to do anything that you wanted to do. Um, you can say that that's why computers weren't so popular back then. And maybe that's true. Maybe that's why computers weren't so popular again. That's that's back then. And, and that's why Mac got so popular, actually, was because Mac, everything was uh, very quickly. Mac made it so that everything was graphical. You know, it wasn't command line. It wasn't text based. And that's how they got so popular and became such a big company um, even after you know, windows, uh, you know, and PC became a big deal for gaming, uh, because it was just this great experience, you know, on the Mac. And so I used that, I, you know, I had my PC for a while. Uh, and I, I, I mean, I, I beat that thing to, you know, I mean, I used it to, to its very last drop and, you know, you get into doing other things. It's like, okay, well, what else can I do? Cause then the internet comes around. Uh, the internet was not, you know, it wasn't a, a, as big a deal when I had this, this 486 computer and then it came out and, you know, then you're playing online and then you're trying to connect to the internet and then you're trying to connect to the internet without paying for it. Um, because even then you still had to kind of pay for it there, even though there's stuff like net zero and you just, by default, you learned so much about, about computers just so, you know, you had to learn it. Otherwise you couldn't do anything that you wanted to do. So I didn't really get into computing because, oh, I want to be a hacker. I want to be this. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I got into it because I wanted to do those two things. I wanted to write and I wanted to play games. And then later in life, you know, I get this incredible knowledge. You know, I, I end up garnering this incredible knowledge of computers uh, and technology in general. And then, you know, I end up making money off of it. And how can you beat that? You got to make money off of having fun. Uh, and I think people sh should still kind of get into the nuts and bolts in their, of their computers. Anyway, thanks for listening to me about that. This is Sovereign Tech, and we'll be back with more. Oh, yeah. This is Stephanie Murphy, Sovereign Tech producer. You may know me from this show, but did you know that I have my own podcast? It's called Pork Therapy. Pork Therapy is a bit different from other shows. We cover current events, big ideas, and even relationship issues, all through the lens of how we can get more freedom in our lives. Oh, and you'll love Sex and Science Hour. Join me on my website, porktherapy.com. That's P-O-R-C therapy.com. Now back to Sovereign Tech.
doing? I can't believe I caught you again. You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know, baby, I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Well, it ain't. But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. <sighs> it's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me. But baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff. Well, then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the week. I never ever get tired of that intro. It is pick of the week. And this week, um, you know... I think a lot of people, uh, you know, the past few episodes, there's been a lot of music picks, um, uh, pick of the weeks, as well as, uh, you know, like even a movie. We mentioned movies before. Um, one thing I actually, I got an, e- I got a, an email from a listener who they were, they were very, very pleased to hear a tech show finally come out and say that, you know what, tech, the technological world, the modern techno modern technology in general has a lot to owe to science fiction books. And I agree, you know, and that's why I made the statement in, in the show that that he was, you know, glad was made. And the the listener said, you know, maybe it'd be a good idea to kind of do a book of the week or things like that. I may as the show grows and the show is growing. In fact, by the time you hear this, hopefully we'll be on YouTube, uh, which is really exciting. Um you know, and you'll be able to listen to the shows on YouTube. I'm not doing a video show, though that could come too. Who knows? But anyway, in the future, as the show grows, uh, I might do a book of the week section where we talk about, you know, either just great books or books that, you know, have really, that we can definitely say have really, really influenced um, technology today or in the future even. And anyway, I appreciate that email. Uh, I think that's great. And this week I'm going to talk about, uh, I am going to talk about a book, not, not a, not a large, you know, fiction novel or nonfiction, uh, you know, tome, but a comic book. I love comic books, a uh, huge fan. I I've been reading them since I was a little kid and I haven't stopped. Why stop? You know, what's the point? It's like, I always say growing ups for old people. Um, and this, this comic, it, it, it just came out. This is hot off the presses. Uh, and it's star Wars number one by dark horse comics um which dark horse has held the the rights to to making star wars comics for a while before then was marvel so if you go looking for this you know online or something if you're one of those types not that i'm recommending that uh but nor do i have a problem with it uh you know if you look for star wars number one you might find like a marvel comic no no this is the one by dark horse this is brand new 2013 uh this is the first comic that arguably could be said disney has endorsed since disney bought star wars in case you didn't know that disney did buy star wars george lucas does not own it anymore he's on as a creative consultant but he doesn't own it now it's up to you whether or not that's a good good or bad thing um but if star wars number one the, the first issue of this new series if star Wars. Number one is any indicator of what a post George Lucas star Wars is going to look like. We are in for a great time uh, as star Wars fans and as technology fans, because you know, star Wars uniquely pushes technology. It pushes entertainment technology. The best, you know, I was telling stories, uh, you know, in the last segment about, you know, the games I played one of the, one of the other first games that really blew my mind was X wing, 
uh, it was Star Wars X-Wing, the collector's CD-ROM edition, as well as TIE Fighter, which uh, I still play to this day. TIE Fighter, uh, you know, another CD-ROM game. And these were like flight simulators. And you really felt, you felt you had, you know, kinetic motion. I mean, you know, forward momentum. The, the, the whole thing, it was awesome, these games. So Star Wars is really good for pushing the boundaries of all kinds of things. Uh, you know, CGI, you name it. I mean, we could go into the list of where, like, the companies that came out of the first Star Wars movie in 1977, just the companies that came out of it, Star, uh, Skywalker Sound, THX, Lucasfilm, whatever, how far they've pushed things. You know, I mean, we could do a whole show on that. Not to say I'm going to, but we could. Anyway, so Star Wars number one, this is the this is the first comic since Disney kind of took over the franchise, and it is great. If you if you Newsarama, which is a great comic book uh, blog, they they gave it a ten out of ten. I give it a ten out of ten, hands down. You feel if you know th- there there's been a lot of Star Wars comics over the years. I mean, just just tons. There's been a lot of Star Wars stories, a lot of books. And some of them have lived up to some hype. You know, some of them ha- are, I guess you could say, honored to have the Star Wars name. Uh, Tim- for, as far as books go, like the Timothy Zahn series, the Heir to the Empire trilogy, uh, which is very, very famous. And I can't believe that came out 20 years ago. But, uh, you know, that deserves it. Uh, but this is one of those this is one of those stories just from the first comic. You just get that feel where, you know, you don't have to read any of those books. You don't have to have read any of the previous comics. If you just enjoyed the Star Wars movies, even if you just enjoyed the 1977 film, I know there's people out there. There's kind of like hipsters that they only like the first Star Wars movie and they don't like any of the other ones. And that's fine. You know, whatever. I, I, I think there's some movies where I feel that way. Not many. But anyway, if you've if you've never enjoyed anything beyond the movies of Star Wars, pick this one up. Pick up Star Wars number one, and believe me, you'll love it. You'll feel like you're reading. It, it feels like Star Wars. Everything about it. You know, Luke is kind of innocent. Uh, Leia's coming off, you know, really, really rough and tough, which is great. I love seeing female characters, uh, you know, in that kind of role. Um, there, there's X-Wings. There, you know, there, everything you could imagine. Darth Vader's in it, obviously, along with the Emperor. Uh, you get the interesting little insights into the, you know, into the characters. It is a perfect comic book. And those are so rare, especially today, because some people say all the great stories have been told and that that's why DC and Marvel have restarted their universes essentially, because all the good stories are gone. So they just got to kind of rehash them or at least liven them up a bit. And, but no, you know, this, this is great stuff. This is great storytelling. It's original storytelling. It's star Wars, which means you can't go wrong. I mean, I guess there's star Wars fans that don't watch clone wars. I, I have no idea why that is, but, but they don't. Okay. But pick this up. It is, it is a classic an instant classic. It is so good. Uh, the artistry is great. Every, I mean, there's nothing like this isn't some kind of weird, uh, you know, abstract kind of Sin City type comic. Uh, and, you know, I mean, kids can read it. You know, if you think there's like a censorship barrier that, that should exist in life, I, you know, I don't think there should be. But if you think there's a censorship barrier, kids can read it and, uh, you know, adults can read it. It's family fun. It's a great, great comic book. And I'm sure it's just going to get better. Um, but I am interested. I'll say this. The relationship between Luke and Leia, because this takes place between you know, a new hope, the first star Wars movie and empire strikes back. The relationships between Luke and Leia is going to be interesting because, you know, and I'm not giving anything away here. Uh, Luke is Leia's sister, but you didn't know that. And in fact, in empire strikes back, there's a point where Leia kisses Luke and that's incest. 
I mean, you can say, well, it's not incest if you don't know, but come on, how, how are they going to play this up? Because Luke does have romantic interest, at least originally. That's a topic for another time, and it's not for a tech show, quite frankly. But anyway, I hope go go pick it up. Star Wars number one by Dark Horse Comics, uh, just great stuff. And I hope you've enjoyed. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Sovereign Tech. Um, I've had a great time doing this one. Uh, you know, we we talked about some pretty big topics. Uh, the new TVs coming out. How, quite frankly, they're a sham. Um, you know, and you can check out, I'm going to have all this stuff linked to in the show notes that you can look at. Uh, you can go to, again, you can go to soundcloud.com slash sovereign tech. Uh, you can go to sovereigntech.tumblr.com, And of course you can email me and I've gotten some emails, some really, really nice emails, uh, you know, of people saying they love the show and that's great. Um, but you can also email me at sovereign tech at hush.ai. Okay. That's sovereign tech. S O V R Y N at hush.ai. And I'll be back with more episodes. We've got a ton, a ton of specials coming out. It's going to be more than one a week uh, because there's just so much great content that I'm going to be releasing uh, very soon. I've got more great guests coming up. uh, So stick with the show. And I really appreciate everybody listening. This has been Brian Sovereign, the Rembrandt of the podcasting canvas. We'll see you next time. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at sovereigntech.tumblr.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N tech dot T-U-M-B-L-R dot com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. Nerds.